Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Radio. And on the line we have myself, Jacob. And me, Zane. Hello. Yes. So good morning, everyone. Um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land and that sovereignty was never ceded. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess the first thing I guess I was wanting to kind of talk about, because um, for this kind of part of the program, we usually sort of have a bit of a discussion about some of the latest kind of political developments that have ha- kind of happened in the past week. The first kind of development I want to sort of highlight um, was this Monday. It was very expiring to see um, over hundreds of thousands of people um, all over um, the country. March in against um, against March against the coal, all the kind of allegations that are happening in the Parliament and basically demanding justice uh, for all women. It was definitely one of the more expiring sort of marches. Melbourne, there was over I think ten to twenty thousand. Zane and I were both there, and I think we could probably estimate there were about that much. In fact, the organisers originally planned. Um, I think there were thinking that there was only going to be 3,000 to 5,000 people show up. So I think it's well exceeded those expectations. And then there were lots of rallies organised all over, including in Geelong, which attracted over 4,000 people. Um, Bendigo attracted around, I think, 500 to 1,000. So pretty much, um, yeah, all over the all over the country, there were just um, massive kind of demonstrations in all the major cities and some of the smaller kind of regional towns um, got... Um, 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 had a, had large mobilizations as well. So I think it's very, I think it expi- a very expiring development. And what was sort of interesting was Scott Morrison's kind of response, um, to this, you know, development, uh, considering his government is at the heart of all these, um, all these problems. You know, he basically sort of tried to twist it into some kind of weird sort of how great is Australia? Because thousands of people can protest while not being uh, while not being shot at by the military. He was basically comparing the situation in Australia to um, that of Myanmar, which is currently under um, which is currently having massive protests against the military coup uh, against the military coup. So, yeah, it was really sort of I, got, I kind of wonder what you thought of those comments by Scott Morrison Zane. You know, just disgusting, and and what a sort of what a low bar to kind of um, present for oneself to jump over, like, ha, 
Yeah, well, um, my response to these marches is at least we don't live in a dictatorship. Wow, congratulations, Scott Morrison. You're really setting the political bar high, aren't you? Yeah, just just disgusting. And as some people correctly pointed out, those comments could be interpreted as kind of like, oh, well, you're lucky we don't kind of shoot you. Like, like almost like a... There's almost like a slightly passive-aggressive tone or, or a bit of an underlying threat that could be interpreted in those comments. I don't necessarily think they were meant in that way. I just think that Scott Morrison is just such a useless, clumsy idiot, and this was his attempt to deflect and and avoid responding to the substantive demands being raised by those women's marches by saying, oh, isn't it great we live in a social democracy where people are allowed to protest? So, yeah. But, yeah, it was great to see massive protests um, across the country and, uh, yeah, a really powerful um, um, initial sort of wave of protest and hopefully a sign of, of things to come. And I think that will really increase the pressure on the parliament to have a, a independent inquiry into Christian Porter. And, of course, on the same day, uh, it was announced that uh, Christian Porter was lodging defamation proceedings against the Australian Broadcasting Corporation for their reporting of the um, allegations against him. And his case will be alleging that... Um, when the ABC reported anonymous allegations against a sitting cabinet minister without specifically identifying who that was, um, Porter's case is going to be alleging that he was clearly identifiable as the cabinet minister in question. So, uh, yes, we'll keep you up to date on those defamation proceedings. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, those those huge protests will increase the pressure for an independent inquiry into Porter's suitability to remain as Attorney General and will increase the general pressure overall uh, that Parliament and all workplaces around the country should be safe places for women to be able to go about their work without fear of sexual harassment of any kind and where they should be confident that they will be able to um, have any allegations of sexual assault dealt with promptly and um, in a muscular way so that, yeah, offenders are (laughs) removed from such workplaces and so that that type of conduct cannot occur. And um, just to... I think this might, I might bring up this sort of news story that just happened, um, that was sort of just spoken about, um, yesterday, because I think this is a good kind of segue into it, on this kind of topic of, um, sexual assault, um, and just a bit of a content sort of warning, um, there. Um, the New South Wales Police Commissioner, um, came up with this really wild idea, um, in the media yesterday. And that basically was, he is proposing in, in light of these sort of allegations of sexual assault, harassment, um, etc., he proposed this really weird idea that there needs to be some kind of app where um, participants basically indicate that they, um, if they're 
potentially having sex with a potential sexual partner, that they basically, with this app, sign it um, that they consent as part of a kind of weird 24 kind of hour contract. Now, the first thing that is wrong about this app um, idea is that the idea of consent and sexual activity is that consent can be withdrawn at any time. The second kind of... can be withdrawn without the use of an app. Yeah, exactly. And the second thing is, arguably, you could argue that this actually does more to... The idea this actually does more to defend perpetrators of sexual assault more than anything. Um, And then the third thing is, I think it's quite disturbing, and it sort of just... I think it's quite disturbing to, um, to actually see something like sexual activity, um, consensual sexual activity, as something that you sign a 24-hour contract around. Like, it's actually, I'm, I'm sort of like, it just basically speaks volumes, um, and it's in such contradiction to how most normal, everyday people relate to these things. And, yeah, the, the, the whole idea that app, I think, is just completely ridiculous. And, of course, we can't forget this is from the New South Wales Police Commissioner um, Mick Fuller is his name, I think. Might be getting... I'm pretty sure that might be his name. But, anyway, this is the same New South Wales Police Commissioner that has, in the past, defended strip searches... Of um, children. Of children. Mm. Um, so, you know, to think that he could position himself as some kind of authority on consent and healthful, healthy relationships is pretty ludicrous to me. Mm. And I think that the whole idea, I think, has been rightfully slammed by feminist activists um, and even sort of experts in the, in the media. Like, it's just, it's such a, it's also such a weird out of place idea. And also just a bit of a random sort of note, um, I think that uh, I think um, he, the New South Wales Police Commissioner's idea of this app was that oh it wouldn't be it wouldn't be developed by the government but it would be it it would be developed by some private private company etc. But yeah, I think this it's completely ridiculous. And um, there's also an article in Green Left, um, which um, basically kind of presents a critique of how the New South Wales police um, handle allegations of sexual assault and consent and that there's a number of recommendations that they are just not following through with. And I think you can read that up online on Green Left, but I haven't um, been able to kind of get around to sort of reading in detail. It's actually written by one of our uh, presenters, um, Chloe um, DS. Unless, saying you have anything you want to add to this discussion? Oh, yeah, just it's a ridiculous proposal, and you're not going to solve sexual assault with a app, especially not one that it, it's, yeah, it's just a nonsensical idea because consent can be withdrawn at any time, and that's a simple verbal transaction. You don't need to log that in an app for it to be, um, to carry legal weight. And uh, the, the, apart from anything else, the app is also open to abuse. If there's a, um, you know, a, a, a violent um, sort of relationship, um, uh, someone could be compelled or forced to sign this consent app against their actual wishes. So it's 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 just a ridiculous proposal that's. 
uh, laced with with problems, and I think that actually sexual assault, misogyny, patriarchy—it's a big uh, it's a big pr- problem. It's intertwined with capitalist hierarchy and oppression, and it's a society-wide transformation that needs to happen where we need to move towards a feminist society where women are respected as equals to men, their bodily autonomy is respected, and that is a a big process and it's a society-wide process and I would argue it's part of a revolutionary change and it's something that requires ongoing deprogramming from patriarchy, which is... uh, uh, feminist theory would say is the oldest oppression there is and it has its roots in the the origins of the the first sort of profit or surplus and being able to hand that on to uh, one's heirs and this is sort of bound up in marriage and controlling women's bodies and controlling you know the offspring and so yeah patriarchy is a very old oppression and it's a big, complex process to uh, tear it down and to and for men to deprogram themselves from that. Right. Well, thanks um, for those comments, Zane. I'm just going to play a quick announcement, and we'll hopefully get ready for our first um, interview of the show this week. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR. Kafirs are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. Where your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Melbourne, I found a food not bombs fly on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favourite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Okay, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and on the line we have myself, um, Jacob, and Zane. 
Now, we have our first guest um, on the program today. Um, her name is Manver Kaur, and she has been um, heavily, uh, a member of the Indian community who has been heavily involved in organising um, solidarity um, with the Indian farmer protests, which have been ongoing um, since September last year. So, yeah, good morning. Good morning, Jacob. Thank you so much uh, for calling me and giving me a chance to speak on behalf of Indian community and farmers. Yeah. So I guess the first kind of question I want to ask, Manver, is um, the Indian farmer protests have been going on since September last year. And I guess for the kind of benefit of our kind of listeners who might not know much about the kind of issues, what can you tell us yeah. about the background to these protests? Um, yeah, sure. Um, see, as we all see that there are tens of thousands of mar- farmers right now protesting on Indian roads. Um, what had happened that during the pandemic, during September, the Indian government had actually pushed through three contentious uh, farming laws, which were without following any due parliamentary procedures in both the houses like Lok Sabha and Rajya Sabha. And these farming laws, in view of the farming associations and, you know, opposition parties have been drafted to help the big corporates and the capitalists, um, just like Mr. Ambani Adani and so. And the government first brought three ordinances and then later on pushed them as bills during uh, COVID period. What was the urgency? I mean, moreover, uh, what was the government losing by not passing these laws? And what can you tell us, I guess, tell us a bit more in detail. What Can you tell us in more detail about these kind of free kind of farm acts that have been kind of passed by the parliament? And, of course, maybe a bit more kind of detail on sort of like what, what are kind of the implications for the farmers themselves? Because I think that would give a better sort of sense of why these farmers, why farmers around India have been mobilising great numbers against these laws. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, firstly, um, uh, the first law would be on the bill on agri- agri-market farmers, which is produce, trade and commerce. So in simple language, the first one is a market bill. Uh, so according to this bill, a new private market could be opened parallel to the existing government one. Uh, it, I think it might sound exciting for a few people, but... Um, the thing is, private markets won't have to pay any tax uh, to the state, to the government, and anyone having pen card uh, can open a market. So ultimately, it will lead to the collapse of the existing government market, uh, which is a Mundi, uh, which is APMC in India, and especially in few of the states like Punjab, Haryana, and UP, from where this protest had been started, initiated then the farmers will be left at the mercy of the corporate. And with the second law, which is, in simple words, is a contract farming one, again, many clauses to read. I mean, there is a lot of paperwork to read on that. But basically, what's disturbing is that these both uh, two laws take away the right of the farmers to approach the civil court. I mean, there is no clause where a farmer can reach to the court or sue a case against the corporator or the one who is involved in agreement. All the matters concerned with the payment or any other issue have to be solved by the bureaucrats 
and which is corrupt to the core as evident. And with the third law, see, it will hit the consumers more uh, as well as the farmers, uh, which is the Essential Commodities Act. And as per this law, the government uh, did, did amend earlier uh, this law for holding of certain food items, which is in terms of storage. Now there is no limit. One can store as much as they can. Before, uh, the government was um, responsible for uh, making the balance uh, within the demand and supply. Now this will lead to higher prices. And this law uh, is more important from the consumer's point of view. Hmm. And um, just going into a bit more, you kind of alluded um, that these laws um, have been kind of implemented um, at the benefactories of capitalists within India, especially the likes of kind of Adani. Um, What do some of those forces stand to gain in terms of the, the kind of passing of these laws? So they just want to, uh, you know, uh, have a control over the market, which is not just limited to India. So they're trying to get uh, a world, you know, leaders in, in, in terms of industrialists or marketers. So they have already privatized uh, all other sections in India, which, which the government was running. So this is very dangerous. And this is definitely uh, a return of, you know, uh, political campaigns they did for Mr. Modi and BJP government. So it's clearly seen that, you know, he had been doing favours to these capitalists. Hmm. And now that um, that we've sort of um, given quite a a very kind of good explanation of the kind of implications, I guess, of these um, of these farm acts, as they kind of have been um, passed by the parliament. What can you tell us about the demands of this kind of massive kind of protest movement um, in India, especially as it's being kind of led by farmers? What are what are they kind of fighting for, and what are some of the demands that they're they're kind of pushing? Um, uh, see, Jacob, the demands are very simple and logical. So the farmers, they just want total repeal of these laws and make the minimum support price legal, which is MSP. And uh, as per them, as per farmers, the MS- MSP should have been the legal right of the farmers by now. But no one has actually cared to do so. Uh, India following the open market to the USA, but do they even know like how much money they put uh, in as subsidies for agriculture? Uh, so if, if government wants to bring a change, that's fine, but not at the cost of the livelihood of the farmers. So they can uh, take the risk at their own peril. So, so it's just uh, very simple that there should be total repeal of these laws, uh, although the government is ready to make some amendments, but farmers, they do not agree. And one of the things, um, some of the stories that I've been kind of reading in the media um, regarding these protests has been a lot of the protests have been met with heavy kind of police kind of repression. And what can you tell us a bit more about um, the response of the government to um, these massive um, protests? See, the government response has been very uh, adamant in retaining these farm laws. 
and as as you have mentioned that you have been reading stories of uh, you know uh, handling it violently yes yes so the government has actually failed uh, to respond to the protesters first they have just violated the human rights of protest protesters because uh, india is a country where uh, where you are free to protest uh, but government is not letting the farmers in capital state and which is why uh, they were putting barricades and you know handling it uh, very harshly uh, though though they were ready though the government was ready to amend the bills uh, as per the will of the farmers but not ready to appeal them uh, so um, see amendment seems a good option uh this is how they the, the government is trying to respond but it's a good option if seen from the outside but if you see it from the perspective of the government keeping it all promises uh, uh, there are like number of them and then no one will believe this government a fascist government is ruling india right now and you know like journalists uh, journalists are jailed for voicing their opinions college students are jailed for supporting farmers recent being disha and environmental act- activist and she was uh, behind the bars uh, for like sedition law charges which which was against uh, anyone not falling in line with the ideology of the government so india has turned from a free country to partly free in the last 6 years the government is using uh, any and every sort of heavy violence you know uh, just um putting uh, maybe marshals and uh, forces just uh, against the farmers and even the normal public who are just coming and uh, you know coming on the roads or rallying towards the parliament yes uh, quite a high stakes battle between this uh, fascist government and and very powerful uh, social movements um manvia i was hoping we could just come back to that mundi system um so my understanding is the mundi system um farmers pay a small tax and in return for that there's a sort of state monopoly that handles the collection of produce for an agreed price no matter whether you're a small farmer or a big farmer yep. and then they handle collecting that transporting it to markets whether that's for export or for selling within India and the yep. distribution of that um so it's kind of quite easy for small farmers to work through this mundi system and that the yeah. the the proposal is is about upending that and inserting this um corporate control Do you, are you able to tell us how much how much of the overall agricultural produce in India goes through this mandi system? Uh, it basically goes from Punjab, Haryana, and UP state uh, very clearly because there had been no implementation of this mandi system in any other state in India, and it's just uh, with, uh, within the Punjab and Haryana. so the the state governments they have been able to you know uh build infrastructure on the basis of the agriculture tax that they it it had been paid and as you as you said on the farmers point of view uh, who are actually uh under that poverty line or who are the marginalized one so uh so yes the as per the data it's just from the punjab haryana and up state okay 
And so would you also say that there's a sort of a city versus country dynamic in these laws from the BJP to, to smash that Monday system? Um, um, see, uh, BJP, uh, what, what, it's, it's not, uh, now the city versus the country. Now all other states have come together, uh, because the farmers' demands, uh, the farmers who were, uh, protesting from Punjab and Haryana, they have had a collective demand that they want to implement Monday system in all over India. Although it wasn't with other states, but the demands include it all over India. Um, <clears throat> so yes, so uh, BJP government for for them, you know, they play a religious card. So the BJP government is trying to give it a shape of just a Punjab state agitation, and that is all just on the basis of religious card. So they are playing bad politics right now in India. So so there is more tension that it seems, uh, you know, from outside while sitting here. So yes, now it has become country versus government. Hmm. Yeah. So um, what can you, I guess, going into guess the next kind of question, um, because you got, you've given quite a very kind of good explanation for, you know, why the kind of farmers have been protesting um, but you've also been heavily involved in helping organise a kind of lot of solidarity um, work um, in, in Australia, especially with the number of protests that have happened. Um, that I, and I've been able to go attend some of them, and I think they've been very sizable um, in terms of the amount of people um, that have been mobilised from the Indian community. And I guess what can you tell us about some of the solidarity work you have been doing in Australia? Um, yeah, I actually uh, started being part of this since last October, but I myself organized uh, uh, from January, like I did organized rallies in city on in Federation Square, so we could see you know thousands of um, mixed nationalities people coming and attending the event, and where we addressed speeches and we obeyed the public and. Um, Following that, I organized another few rallies, a few of them in front of parliament and then different suburbs, which were very peaceful. So my intention uh, was to give message to the local public that we are not here to disturb your peace and harmony or or the peace and harmony of the land where uh, we live in. Uh, But it's more like uh, telling people uh, that they need to open eyes what's what's happening behind because, you know, it will eventually impact uh, environment here as well as Australia as a diverse country. So uh, I had organized close to four rallies till now. And uh, on the other hand, we are trying to approach the local politicians or representatives, uh, submitting them reports and, you know, making them aware uh, of how they should uh, help uh, human rights violation um, to, to stop in India by discussing this matter in Parliament as uh, we see that Australia has a strategic alliance with India. And uh, there are more agreements on agriculture and uh, many other fields. So I think um, it is very much relevant to Australia as well now. And even in future, we are trying to uh, hold such peaceful protests here um, as well. Yeah. And I guess um, concluding a bit of um, this kind of interview, 
Um, how can pe- um, people, especially our listeners, um, support and stand in solidarity with um, the Indian farmers resisting these laws and also support supporting the kind of ongoing kind of solidarity work that you've been involved in? Um, yeah, so uh, so the listeners could um, go online. I mean, they they can um, follow the pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, which says Farmers Protests. So with with the handle which is Farmers Protest, and uh, they can use like hashtag Farmers Protest. So so uh, they can see more updates on Farmers Matter. Uh, Farmers Matter. Uh, there is this group on Facebook, so where we keep on updating about uh, our all the programs or rallies and uh, you know current updates on what's happening in India. So even if they uh, go to YouTube, they can simply um, search for farmers' protests. So there will be more interviews on that, like BBC coverage on that. So they will get more idea if they can. Um, Google it or follow the Facebook pages like Farmers Matter, Farmers Protest, Stand with Farmers. So it will give them, um, you know, more information on on what these laws are. And they should, I think, also join uh, the public rallies uh, whenever it's, it's happening in cities. And uh, they can always follow the updates from these Facebook pages. And even I have a page uh, with Manbir Gore. Official, so I always update on uh, what's happening around. So if, if they want, they can follow this page as well for any updates. Well, um, thank you very much, Manvi. And do you have, I guess, um, just just to give you a, a bit of opportunity, do you have any guess final comments you'd like to make before we um, conclude this interview? Um, yes, I would just request and I would just say that um, uh, we should get more support from Australian people. As my, I myself had always been involved in any sort of volunteer work um, since since I'm here, be it uh, a bushfire, be it uh, any other issues. So I'm, I'm, I'm always uh, thinking it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this land and, you know, it hurts me equally when there is... Uh, any human rights violation or there is any pandemic or tragedy around me and I would always volunteer for that. So uh, I expect the same sort of support uh, from my people here in Australia that they should come forward and raise their voice against what's happening right now. Well, thank you very much, um, Manvi, and I think it's been a very um, informative interview and, yeah, we'll definitely follow up on any sort of further kind of developments that happened on this and this ongoing sort of mass movement that's happening in India, which yeah. I think we're all finding very expiring. Yeah, thank you so much, Jacob. Thank you. Thank you for letting my voice reach the public. Thank you so much. Cheers, Manvir. So, yes. Thank you. Manvir Kaur talking to us about the uh, massive wave of farmers' protests in India and how you can and should get involved and uh, show your solidarity here in Melbourne and and in other cities across Australia because this is a really important campaign right now against a a brutal uh, right-wing fascist government in in India of Narendra Modi. So, yeah, help help out the farmers and uh, get along to those protests as as they continue to uh, happen here. Yeah, so you're listening to... 
Green Left Radio on FreeCR, 8.55am, and I'll just play a quick announcement. FreeCR, always bringing you the latest union news. They're coming after us at the moment. They want to get rid of penalty rates, the big push from businesses. They want to get rid of all the things that you and I have fought for. So there's tens of thousands of jobs gone, contracted out, to sham contracting arrangements. On 8.55am and on the web, 3cr.org.au. Okay, so this is Shebop. And so is this. And this. Shebop, a program that explores feminist issues. Tune in Mondays, 10.30am, for a show where only women get to speak, but everyone can listen. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio. Now, for the next kind of part of our program, um, later on we're going to be um, having an interview with um, an activist who's involved in um, from Myanmar um, about this kind of ongoing kind of military coup in Myanmar and also the expiring kind of protest movement that has happened in response to it. Um, so that will be an interview we'll be doing around 8, 10 a.m. with Grace. Um, but in the meantime, the Green, um, Green Left has done an interview with the Green, Greens MP, um, Jamie Parker, about why the Australian government has been so tardy in taking action against the military coup regime, talking about the new generation leading the civil disobedience um, movement um, and the prospects for a return to civilian government and unity between the various ethnic groups in Burma. So this is an interview that was conducted by um, Peter Boyle from Green Left, um, and so we'll go and play this um, pre-recording. Um, for the next um, for the next sixteen minutes, and then move on to the the activist calendar. So, yeah, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR eight five five AM. Hello and welcome to the People Powered Green Left Podcast. We give a voice to the ninety nine percent and not the big corporations. If you think this project is important, please consider becoming a supporter today. Now, on to our latest episode. People blocking streets. People saying we will not collaborate with the government. The banks are closed. The shops are closed. The civil servants are closed. The local governments are closed. And this is bringing the military to its knees. And we think it is fantastic and want to encourage everyone to continue. The boycott campaign has been incredibly effective. You go to any tea shop in Mandalay or Yangon or anywhere in the country and you ask for Red Ruby cigarettes and a little boy like this will come to you and say, no brother, don't buy those cigarettes, they're from the military. All over the country, whether it's plastics companies, whether it's cigarettes, whether it's Myanmar beer, they're getting smashed in the street because the military should not be rewarded 
and people should not buy those products and we will continue to boycott. And thank you to everyone in Myanmar who's boycotting those products. Give them a huge round of applause. Thank you. Jamie Parker, the Greens MP for Balmain, has been one of the most popular Australian speakers at the various demonstrations against the military coup in Myanmar that have been held in Sydney over the last month. I spoke to him about how he became involved with Burmese issues and his views on the unfolding resistance to the coup. So Jamie, tell us a little about the history to your connection with the Burmese cause. Well, when I was 16 years old, I was uh, trekking in the mountains of the Thai Burma border. My dad worked at Qantas, he fixed engines there. And so we had discounted airfares and I'd saved up for a long time and I went overseas and I went to Thailand and trekked around the Thai Burma border and met Burmese people. Um, and obviously I heard about 1988 and what had happened there, it was just fresh. And when I came back to Australia, I didn't really have much of a connection until I met Burmese people. Uh, when I was uh, involved in student politics here in Australia, who'd come to Australia post-88. And uh, many of those students are great friends of mine, even today. So that got me very involved in the Burma cause. Uh, I organised, was one of the founding members of the Australian Coalition for Democracy in Burma, countless meetings, rallies, protests, lobbying, federal government. And uh, since the uh, by-election and then the election in 2015, I was there as an observer. Um, I've been very involved in Burma. I go to Burma just about every year. Um, and it's a place that I love. And I work a lot in communities, uh, especially around political organising and solidarity work, both here and in Burma. And it's something I'm very passionate about. At Saturday's rally, you called out the Australian government for doing next to nothing uh, since the, the, the coup in, in Myanmar, even less than the Biden administration. They've done nothing. They've made some statements, but they haven't done as much as Biden has done in US, even though that's not very much. They haven't done as much as the EU. They haven't done as much as the UK. Australia needs to step up and not just say we don't like this coup, but take action and take action straight away. What do you think is the reason for this tardiness to act quickly, to isolate, to, to, to cut links with, uh, with the military junta? I think there's a few different factors. Uh, I mean, it's shameful, really, that Australia is behind Biden and Boris Johnson in the UK, uh, who have both implemented targeted sanctions against military generals and uh, leaders. I think there's a few reasons. First of all, Australia has some very significant economic interests in the country. Um, and you could see the fact that Auscham, the Australian Chamber of Commerce, was one of only two chambers of commerce out of all of them in Burma to not sign a open letter opposing the crackdown. Uh, that was very important. You know, every other country, America, all the EU countries, uh, India, other chambers signed, but Australia didn't, along with Hong Kong. Um, so there's economic interests. I think that the Australian Liberal Party is reluctant um, to engage in that kind of what they see as interference. I think they're less ambitious about the role that Australia can play in the area and they're more laissez-faire about it. I think also the military-to-military -military ties that Australia has over many, many years has meant that there was a less um, robust response. And finally, uh, it's pretty clear that the Australian ambassador in Burma was very close to the um, economic 
relationship, you know, with the Australian companies and so on. So our ambassador was probably less enthusiastic about being strong. And all of those things combined means Australia has been one of the least uh, responsive to not only the coup, but the uh, murderous killing spree that the police and military have now uh, entered into. Maurice Payne announced on Sunday night um, that they were suspending the military cooperation with Myanmar. Do you see this as a response to the, the pressure that has been put on the government over this question? Oh, yes, it's clear that the pressure has been significant. Uh, we've seen, um, as I mentioned, the EU, the United States, the UK do more than Australia has even said they would consider. There's been very significant protest action. There's been a lot of lobbying in Canberra from uh, Burmese community representatives, but also groups like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty and Action Aid. And the capitulation of Woodside was important. Uh, Woodside, as you know, has an exploration license and has spent tens of millions of dollars in the country. And they initially said, oh, you know, the country's going through a transition. Um, and then when the response from the MUA, from unions, uh, from uh, Action Aid, Amnesty and the Burmese community, a 3,000 strong rally in Perth, uh, Woodside capitulated. And the fact that they withdrew, I think, also uh, assisted the government in being able to say, well, we'll take some action as small as it is. So at the rally on Saturday, uh, you were very positive about the, the, the resistance to the coup. You know, they carried out strikes, they carried out um, mass rallies, sustained mass rallies. Um, what's behind this, this energy that's, uh, that's driving this ongoing protest? Well, it's remarkable that this protest movement has been so effective. Mass strikes, um, even today, banks, private banks still have not opened. Um, and the boycott movement against militaries' companies has been uh, universally embraced. Uh, and what's behind it? It's clear that people not only feel that they've had their democracy stolen from them, but their futures. Um, they've had a taste of democracy, a taste of being able to express themselves after a generation of military dictatorship, and before that, you know, a history of colonial oppression. And now they've been able to express themselves politically, economically, um, socially, and that has now been crushed by the military and by the police. So, you know, this sense of solidarity, the sense of community action is something which has come from uh, the huge loss that people are feeling, the grief that they're feeling about what's being stolen from them. But more importantly, it speaks of the connections that exist in that society. People know the people who live in their streets. They know the people in their township. There's a sense of solidarity which is now being expressed incredibly powerfully and I think probably amongst the strongest we've seen in the world. Um, to see this type of action day in, day out striking and the CDM, civil disobedience movement, is truly remarkable. People going to the houses of those civil servants that are striking, bringing them food, supporting them, giving them some money. There's a real sense of uh, neighbour to neighbour support uh, to back the CDM protesters, and that is something which is really incredible. Given given this huge response, um, what uh, what what prospect do you think there is for this uh, this resistance sparking off a broader Asian Spring? You know, there's Thailand next door, which is in the midst of a struggle, and obviously there's Hong Kong. Uh, what are the prospects for for Burma kicking off an Asian Spring? Well, there's been a real symbiotic relationship between all those campaigns. And so much of what is being acted out today 
in, on the ground, they've learnt from Hong Kong activists, they've learnt from Thai activists, solidarity messages from Thai activists, solidarity messages from Burmese activists, that building sense that people are not alone, you know, jammed into nation states, but we're all part of a bigger campaign for democracy and human rights and freedom. So I think there's something really genuinely... Um, appearing there. Obviously, we know other countries, Cambodia, there's been a long struggle, as difficult as it is for democratic representation. We see the same in Laos. We see the same throughout the region. It's incredibly difficult. But I think there is something very special going on, and I can see it mobilising other activists, for example, with the establishment of this ASEAN MPs Group for Human Rights. Uh, and we saw at the last ASEAN meeting, only four out of the ten spoke out strongly. Uh, to support the reinstallation of democratic civil government there. And that's something I think those countries, Singapore, Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, these countries are starting to speak out. And instead of just being stuck in their own countries, they're now mobilising across the region. That's a very good sign. I think the prospects are very positive for an increase in the amount of mobilisation uh, domestically in these countries that have suffered so long to be able to speak out and stand up for human rights, for democracy and a, and a, and a, a government that represents them. Now, during the, um, the previous uh, NLD civilian government, um, a lot of international support was lost around its, um, its inability or failure to take up uh, the military during the uh, Rohingya genocide. What prospects are there for uh, a reconciliation uh, with the Rohingya and other ethnic minorities um, coming out of this struggle against the military coup? Well, it's really interesting that the Rohingya groups, the representative groups, have obviously called for the military to withdraw because they know that the situation is even worse than it was under the NLD government with the military in full control. You know, it's difficult to talk about this in a positive way, but potentially uh, there is a positive silver lining to this. This will accelerate the democratisation. For example, the 2008 constitution, which you know was rigged by the military, the referendum, gave them 25% of the seats in parliament and a whole lot of other privileges. Now people are saying, we're not going to go back to that. The NLD tried to accommodate the military and tried to have a kind of balancing act with them, saying, we'll take the 2008 constitution, we'll try and work with you. But now the call is to abolish that absolutely and to really drive the military back. That's a good sign for uh, ethnic groups. Um, uh, it's a good sign for the development of a democratic system, a truly or more democratic system there. I think there's also a really interesting breakthrough with the CRPH, which is the committee representing the parliament, made up of all the MPs that were legitimately elected in November in 2020. They've established a committee representing that parliament, and they're in the process of establishing a national unity government, a union government, for the first time genuinely including ethnic parties in that process. And that, to me, will be, in the next week or two, a very important time. Because if that can be established with the major ethnic political parties, it will make a decisive break from the past, where it's always been about the NLD with you know a few other ethnic parties maybe supporting them. But if there can be a genuine coming together of these parties during this time of adversity, it could actually be a really positive thing and a positive step forward, because the future 
of Burma has to be a united federal union. And that is what the ethnic groups are arguing so hard for, the, EA, the ethnic armed organisations, EAOs. And that's what needs to happen to bring the country together and recognise that, you know, everyone it needs to share a part of this country. And I'll just say one other thing as well. Let's not forget that we're seeing killings and murders on the streets of Yangon. But that has been going on in Karen-controlled areas and ethnic areas for decades. The killing, raping, burning of villages, but it's just been out of sight. We saw it as well in for the Rohingya people. So let's not be uh, under any illusion that the military hasn't been doing this for a generation. But we're just seeing it now because it's in Yangon and it's so obvious. So we need to acknowledge that these ethnic groups in particular have suffered so terribly under the military and it's time not just to roll back their coup but to roll back their influence completely. People have remarked on the on the leading role of a of a very a new generation of activists. So you have this new millennial uh, style protest and at least from the outside, it, it, it looks a lot more internationalist. It looks a lot less confined by national identity and culture. Do you think this could have a positive impact on, on the reshaping uh, of, of the country uh, that takes into account the need for, for, for regional autonomy, for accommodating uh, the different ethnic groups? I think you're absolutely right. And a little insight into that is I was at the rally Make, shouting some slogans in Burmese, and one of the young people came to me and said, brother, they're 1988 slogans. We need 2020 slogans, 2021 slogans. And we were talking about the new slogans coming from the young people, from the youth in the community. Obviously, people like Minko Nai are leading uh, covertly through Facebook and social media, 88 generation, but there's now a new generation. And we see that at our own protests here in Sydney. Uh, young people who have tasted half of their lifetimes as a democracy, uh, who are educated, who are informed, who are part of, you know, the, the world. That's why they're studying here and studying all around the world. And their influence is really important. You can see it here, even in Sydney, when the Burmese community meets. The young people have a very different attitude. They're not so worried about sectarian views or different ethnic groups. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. We need to accept everyone, include everyone, and recognise we all have a role to play. And that is very, very important. And I think these young people as well, um, for example, you see them on the streets, LGBTI campaigners carrying their rainbow flags in Yangon. I mean, it's punishable by... Uh, homosexuality is punishable by very long prison terms under the old colonial laws that still exist in Burma. All these different communities are now coming to the fore, showing the diversity of the community domestically, but also their engagement politically around the world. I think it augurs very well for the future, and we need to be hearing those younger voices. Voices. And we can hear them just by tuning into social media and seeing the Burmese student organisations. And that's, of course, why the ABFSU, the All Burma Federation of Student Unions, all their leadership have been arrested. One of the first groups the military went for was the ABFSU, trying to get the young people. But their resilience is incredible, and they're the ones on the front line in Yangon, Mandalay, all around the country. And they're giving us a very important lesson of how we can be organising cooperatively and collectively. That was my interview with Greens MP Jamie Parker. It was recorded on March 10th. Now, Jamie is fundraising for meals for protesters, democracy protesters in Burma. And if you'd like to contribute, you can find the uh, project on uh, chuff.org. So that's chuff.org forward slash project forward slash Burma. 
I hope you got a lot out of this episode. All right. You're just listening to um, an interview with Greens MP um, about this whole about the whole military coup um, that's happening in Myanmar forward slash um, Burma, um, and just the reason why we sort of refer to. Um, Burma as Myanmar, although I'm not completely across all the kind of history, but basically, um, Myanmar is actually being kind of the term that's kind of actually being used the most by the kind of newer kind of generation of activists who have been organising around this issue. And we're fortunate enough that we're going to be having an interview with one of those new, um, activists, um, that has been organising solidarity protests in Melbourne, um, later on in the program around 8, 10 a.m. So um, I'll just quickly um, play a quick announcement um, and then we might go on, we might have to go on to the actor's calendar or might just have a quick sort of news story. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio. And on the line, um, we're just three minutes kind of away from doing the kind of activist kind of calendar, but I just thought I'd just do a bit of a quick kind of news update. But basically in the yesterday, um, after weeks of kind of um, months of sort of debate and negotiations, um, the ominous industrial trade um, union kind of bill um, has in some sense been defeated. Um, basically for... Um, most of the measures um, that the government was trying to ram through, um, which basically was compared to work choices, this was um, basically part of the the government's sort of post um, COVID kind of um, COVID plan, basically cr- trying to create greater flexibility for employers, um, f- flexibility for employers to exploit, essentially. But and also there was also within the bill there was also a proposal to demerge um, unions. Um, basically, the argument was basically to demerge unions that have deamalgamate unions because there's a number of trade unions that have gone through sort of mergers. And basically, the government bill was essentially allowed the government to just demerge um, um, industrial um, unions and unions. Um, but yes, most of this sort of legislation in the bill has not been um, carried in the parliament, except for one, which was basically, it basically, um, they've passed a kind of measure that basically means that um, casual workers can have the means to become permanent after 12 months of employment. But I think 
in the onset, the union movement is actually interpreting this as a bit of a defeat for casual workers, and casual workers have think that this is this is pretty weak. Um, and also the government also refused to implement sort of any sort of the recommendations around criminalising wage theft. So you can actually read in more detail about a lot of these sort of, uh, about all the debates and discussion around this bill. Um, it's all available on Green Left. There's an interview that we did with a CFMEU organiser, and there's also a podcast that we did with Tim Gooden um, talking in detail about the bill. But I sort of give it just a quick sort of update. Um, Zane, do you have any kind of thing you want to add? Uh, no, not particularly. It's just that, like, all the mainstream press are reporting that the, you know, nine-tenths of the of the omnibus bill have been uh, taken out. So the amended proposal just has some small provisions about uh, casual workers, which the ACTU aren't happy with. There's some limited... Um, changes to allow casual employees to request permanent work. There doesn't seem to be any indication that the employer needs to accept that request. They can just say, "Uh, no, sorry, you're still going to be a casual. Uh, But the flip side of that is that uh, there's a new definition of casual employment and reduced liability for misclassifying casuals. So it's a bill that will probably further entrench casualisation with a um, kind of addressing of making it look a bit like casuals can get converted to full-time workers, but I'm sceptical as to how effective that will be. But all the really bad stuff in the omnibus bill, it looks like it's been defeated and left in a smoking pile and the senate floor so that's at least something and there's been uh recriminations um rebecca sharkey from the center alliance has said that um sterling griff voted for certain parts of that bill that uh, they hadn't agreed on and the actu will be campaigning against um one nation because one nation supported the uh, casualisation stuff. But yeah, as I as I kind of said, you can read more and more detail about all this this discussion around the bill. Unfortunately, we just don't have time to really dedicate more um, discussion to, around this bill um, to the Green Left Radio Program because we just got um, got a lot of stuff to kind of get through for the next thirty kind of minutes. Um, I'll just play a quick announcement and then we'll go on to the Green Left Activist Calendar. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. 
proud 3CR supporter. You're listening to Green Left Radio, and now it is time for the activist calendar. Um, so I'll leave it to kind of Zang to announce the first two events, and then I'll I'll follow from there. Alrighty, so there is uh, two protests coming up today, 12 noon at Treasury Place. The unemployed workers' union are having a living wage for all protest. That's in the wake of the federal government this week approving a measly $3.57 a day increase to uh, Centrelink and use allowance and coupling it with, like, the disgraceful, you know, you've got to hand in a report saying that you've searched for 50 million non-existent jobs in order to get your extra three fifty-seven a day. Uh, so that's 12 noon, and shout-out to the Unemployed Workers' Union and the staunch work they do. Uh, that campaign for a proper increase to Centrelink rolls on. And then at 2 o'clock at the State Library, it is Fridays for Future and uh, Uni Students for Climate Action will be there loud and proud uh, protesting once again for climate action. And it's good to see the um, COVID uh, immunisation starting to happen Restrictions are starting to ease, and we're starting to get back into protest season. So, yeah, get along there today, 2 o'clock at the State Library, and support uh, that climate rally by Uni Students for Climate Action. Okay, and then there'll be another protest at 2pm, organised by Victorian Socialists um, and the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union. Um, This is all... all, um, Protests raise job seeker above the poverty line, and that's going to be at 2 p.m. Sunday at the State Library in Victoria. Now, going on to the next kind of events, um, Extinction Rebellion is going to be doing its mass march disruption from Monday, March the 22nd to Sunday, March the 28th. So, if you go on the Extinction Rebellion um, sort of um, page, you should be able to get all the kind of details kind of for that. Um, and then the next kind of events um, that are kind of coming up to note is there's going to be um, the Palestine Land Day next. Sorry, I'm getting it. Next Saturday at 2 p.m. at the State Library, March the 27th. Um, yeah, so that will be happening. And then on our there will be our special 30th anniversary Green Left event. 30 Years of Green Left, India Eyewitness on the Farmers Fight Back, which is going to be happening on Saturday, March the 27th, 7pm, which is going to be an online event that will be addressed by Kavita Krishna, who is an Indian feminist and leader of the CPI Marxist-Leninist Liberation Party. Um, so I think that will be a very good event. And, of course, it will be an important sort of event to mark for us because um, we are Green Left Radio and, you know, Green Left has, um, is marking its 30th um, anniversary. It's been 30 years since Green Left first started in 1991. And then on Sunday, March the 28th, um, there's going to be the um, Walk for um, Palm Sunday, Walk for Justice for Refugees, on Sunday, March the 28th at 2pm at the State Library, 328 Swanson Street in the city. And just another few things to note. Um, 
the McCormack workers are still going on strike, um, and you can visit the the picket line at 63 to 71 Fairbank Road on in Clayton South. There are daily refugee protests still happening um, every week, every weekday on 5 p.m. and 3 p.m. on weekends, and you can see Stand Together for Justice for more information. And the last thing I just want to give a bit of a plug for um, is. Um, there is a very good film on the Black Panthers um, currently out called Judas and the Black Messiahs. And so you can see that currently at the Cinema Nova and um, Palace Cinemas. And it might be at the major cinema, Shane Swell, like Village, and, but I haven't actually confirmed that. So probably just for the safety, um, safe, you can probably safely watch it at the Cinema Nova, etc. And it's supposed to be a very good film. There is a review of it in Green Left, and I'm hoping to get around to seeing it soon. Yeah, I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard that it's a bit more focused on the assassin. It doesn't feel like... I've heard its portrayal of Fred Hampton could have been better, Mm. but I'm keen to check it out myself and Mm. make up my own mind because I'd rather see a flawed depiction of Fred Hampton than none at all, let's say that. Well, there was actually in um, a socialist magazine or socialist publication, Left Voice, there was actually someone who knew Fred Hampton personally and was worked with the the Black Panthers as a socialist activist, Mm. and he gave very positive reviews of he did his own uh, did her own re- mm. his own review of um Judas and Black Size and gave a very positive kind of review. So Yeah, okay. Um, that can often happen with with films that portray activist sort of history is um, people can be very um it's almost like some socialists feel like they're obliged to provide an excessively critical review because this thing is made by Hollywood and there's profits being made and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so I think it's always good, even if, if films like this do get some kind of bad reviews, it's always good to check it out yourself and make up your own mind. Okay, well... You're listening to Green Left Radio, and um, that concludes the activist calendar. And, yeah, you can go on the Green Left kind of website to sort of look up for more of the kind of listings of, of the events that we sort of spoke about. Now, I'll go quickly play a quick announcement, and we'll get move on to our next interview for the program. You're listening to Green Left Radio. <laughs> 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Goongro Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. 
Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left um, Radio. And for our second and final interview for the program, we have Grace from the Victorian Myanmar Youth. And we're going to be having a bit of a discussion with her um, about the kind of ongoing kind of um, political situation that is currently unfolding in Myanmar slash Burma. And, um, yeah, so good morning, Grace. Hello, everyone. I'm, I'm Grace, speaking for Burmese Youth in Myanmar on behalf of Victoria Myanmar Youth. Yeah. So thanks for that, Grace. And um, I guess to start off um, the, the, the discussion... Um, just for the benefit, I guess, of our listeners um, who might not know that much about the kind of situation, what can you tell us? Can you start off by telling us about the uh, the political situation that is kind of unfolding in Myanmar? Well, currently it is a crime against humanity, which is becoming the reality for Myanmar and the ethnic people in Myanmar. Since February 1st, Myanmar is battling against the terrorist militant body, the Dumbarrow, that claims to have absolute power. It is a concerning at the large on the international scale because it can be simplified as a theft of nation. Um, this is a repetition of Myanmar military coup history with the same storyline, detaining the political leaders, mass shooting, destroying factories as civilians, civilians, brutal torturing, using armed forces against um, and armed civilians, and broadcasting false news. Um, currently, we have um, CRPH, which is Cabinet of Community Representing Bidangsu Lutdo, formed by elected members of parliament. So some of the countries are starting to recognize CRPH as a legitimate government, in which um, the military does. The military has no recognition as a, a legitimate um, government. And guess what? Can you tell us about some of the political motivations from some of the actors that have instituted, I guess, this military coup? Like, why has this kind of military coup kind of happened, and at this time? Oh, military could be has become because of me online. Um, me online, he is, uh, currently is a dictator and a terrorist right now. The reason, be- the reason behind of this military coup is because he cannot accept the fact that Ms. Aung An Suu Kyi and the party won by landslide, won like 83% of the body available seats. The number of the pro-democratic supporters in is much higher than pro-military supporters. So the military education towards fraud in the voting system from the recent 2020 election cannot be true for any reason. Like you, we have to know that this is not our first coup. The military coup has been happened since 1962, and we. 
lived under their control and fought for 50 years. The military junders know the taste of power, wealth, and privilege when the military has been in power since 1962. So they don't want to give our rights and democracy. So they just selfishly wanted for themselves for economical and political power for their own gain. And um, what can you tell, what has been quite expiring has been the response of, of people on the ground. Um, there's been massive kind of protests um, standing up against this whole military coup. And what can you, and can you tell us, I guess, in more detail about, you know, about some of these protests that have happened? Uh, following, following the date um, from February 1st, um, the the people has expressed their anger for disrespecting their folk by hitting and banging the pots and pens across majority cities. Um, we have our movement, which is called Civil Disobedient Movement, which is the CDM movement in Myanmar. Protesters include teachers, lawyers, teach, students, doctors, and every Myanmar professional is included. It is vital to the country economy and and like supporting this CDM against the country's pro post coup military regime. However, we have been these people have been like attacked, tortured and like kidnapped from ever since the coup. Um, Grace, uh, uh, thanks heaps for speaking with us this morning. Uh, we were yep. just hearing an interview before, uh, and there was a Greens MP from um, New South Wales, Jamie Parker. One of the other aspects of the resistance to the coup he was talking about uh, was this boycott of military-produced goods. Uh, would you be able to tell us a bit more about that? Oh, can you repeat that again? I cannot hear it. Um, the the boycott of military goods. So uh, people in Myanmar are not buying food or cigarettes or other things that are made yeah, by yeah, yeah. the military. Yeah, yeah. The boycott has been successful because, like, we not just like from like not just not just from like one business from the military-owned business. We we take from every like every industry, including food, um, transportation, um, um, building structures, medical, and everything. Like for and even like Myanmar beer. So and not just that, not just we are boycotting um, military business. We are boycotting. Um, international business that has been um, um, contracted with the military. So, for example, um, for example, like from Singaporean Singaporean restaurants or like even Chinese-owned restaurants who who have been like stand beside with military. Hmm. That's quite impressive. So there's this massive strike happening and then sort of economically cutting off the military and its external supporters. So it seems very uh, wide-ranging, this, this cutting off 
of economic and political support for the regime. The next kind of question, the next, this kind of goes on to another question I sort of want to ask, um, which is, what can you tell us, um, about kind of like the international kind of response to this whole military coup, like especially in terms of the neighbouring countries um, near near Myanmar, what has there been their kind of response to this whole military coup? Is there any condemnation or is there actual support? Like what 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 is sort of this? What it has been kind of response internationally from different governments? Um, from the ASEAN, we have a multi alliance, which is from China, India, Cambodia, Indonesia, and Malaysia, which is supporting our CDM movement and what is standing from for people, for people only, because they can see that how illegitimate and how brutal and uh, inhuman the, two, the military has been doing, like brutally attacked to our people. So which is great that they have been like supporting us with the military alliance ever since the crackdown. And even we have support from Singapore, um, not from, from Singapore, from um, South Korea and Japan, and which has been overwhelming. And I'm really glad that they have been noticing what is going on in Burma. Hmm. And... The next kind of thing is, what can you tell us about what your group um, has been, Victorian Myanmar Youth, um, in terms of the type of solidarity kind of work you've been organising? And I guess another kind of question that sort of flows out of that, which you can possibly answer in the context of this, of what you're doing, um, apparently one of the things, the characteristics about these protests has been that it's mainly been the youth kind of leading and organising them. And it seems to also be the case in Australia that it is also the youth um, of Myanmar organising the solidarity process and kind of leading that kind of process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Victoria Myanmar Youth is to champion Myanmar and ethnic youth voices, especially in Myanmar, who is fighting in the front lines against the uh, military. Uh, So that, and um, youth action in Myanmar, uh, um, in Myanmar and Victoria as well, and uh, representing all youth, including Myanmar Australians, international students, graduates, and other people who sympathize with Myanmar affairs by raising the awareness and participation of what is going in Myanmar. And we support, we really support the CDR movement, which is Civil Disobedient Movement, and CRPH, and we champion the federal democratic in Myanmar. So that is what we stand for. And we collaborate with um, Myanmar Student Association and Anti-Myanmar Detention Network in, in Australia. So what has been, well, this Sunday we have like Candlelight um, Belgian, which we've been collaborating with Myanmar Student Association in Australia and local community for stronger and united voice. And and this event is for fundraising for CDM movement for Burma. Hmm. And 
Um, in terms of um, our listeners, how can people kind of support um, this kind of ongoing solidarity campaign? From my understanding, there's going to be a vigil on Sunday um, in the Federation Square. Um, can you tell us a bit more kind of details about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the vigil on Sunday is is going to be at 6 to 8. And please follow us on um, Facebook and on our social media, like Twitter, Twitter and um, Instagram. We have our page called Victorian Myanmar Youth. And please follow um, uh, Myanmar Student Association as well. We have our GoFundMe page and our petition on our pages. So it will be really, really helpful that they support our solidarity campaign. Yeah. Well, thanks um, for that, Grace. Um, do you kind of have, like, any kind of final comments you'd like to make? Um, my final comment on this is, like, I... Australia has been a beacon of a democratic um, country, and our Burmese people don't have that. Right now, we are fighting against, and it's been hopeless, and it's been... Legitimately, the worst nightmare that I have been um, suffering through because I cannot sleep, I cannot think straight because I'm worried for my safety, for my friends and family in back in my country. So I would be really, really happy that and really, really appreciate that the Australian and the Australian government take notice of what is going on in Burma. Hmm. Word. Well, thank you very much for that, um, Grace. And yes, um, just a reminder for our listeners, um, it, there's going to be a vigil um, happening at 6pm at the Federation Square. And, um, and I encourage you, in order to support this sort of ongoing sort of um, movement uh, against the military coup, to sort of get down there and also follow Victorian Mima Youth on Facebook for all kind of upcoming kind of events that will be happening. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much, um, Grace. Thanks again, Grace. Thank you so much, thank you so much for um, having me. All right. Um, so we were just interviewing um, Grace um, from Victorian Myanmar Youth um, about the background to, to the military coup and the kind of ongoing protests that have been happening in response um, in Myanmar, which I think has been probably one of the more expiring sort of um, things that has been happening politically in this in this past several months. Uh, going because um, I think it's what has kind of been very significant has been workers have started to also kind of get organised and there has been talks of organising general strikes and also mass meetings of workers, etc., which is all sort of like the essence, I think, of socialist politics, of workers starting to come together and rise up against oppression. Um, so, yeah, I think that's definitely one to follow and we'll definitely be having further updates on the political situation and more interviews as um, as the situation unfolds. And there's also been a number of articles in Green Left um, covering the kind of different aspects of this whole ongoing movement. Okay, well, it's um, getting into 8.27am. Um, I'd like to 
So we're getting really close probably to the end of our program, unless there's one last thing you want to say for the next minute or so, Zane? Uh, there was a story on a project last night, um, and sort of a friend or acquaintance, um, Mikey, who runs a hair salon, uh, doing beautiful and vivid rainbow haircuts, and Mikey's got a house recently down at Phillip Island, and some neighbours have uh, threatened him with really ugly sort of homophobic threats and said, if you paint your house rainbow, uh, we're going to kill you. And uh, Mikey has been uh, very defiant and has uh, told them, you can get stuffed and I will be painting my house rainbow. Thank you very much. So there's video going around on... uh, uh, on the socials from the project, Mikey was featured on on the project last night. So uh, yeah, if if you see that, check it out. And uh, if you are a progressive uh, sort of person down Phillip Island way, just keep an eye out and uh, get your rainbow stickers on your bumpers, get your rainbow flags out, and uh, show solidarity because uh, yeah, it's just some really like just old school homophobia that I just thought. Is this seriously still happening in this day and age? Um, so, yeah, shout out to Mikey and his uh, inspiring defiance in the face of these idiots and uh, his determination to paint his house rainbow, which is very much his uh, his decision and his only. So, yeah, shout out to Mikey. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Zane. Um, we're just getting right at the end of time. So... Once again, thank all our listeners for listening to Green Left Radio. Um, this will be uploaded as a podcast on freecr.org.au if you want to listen back to the program. And, yeah, st- um, stay tuned for Beyond Zero Missions now. You're listening to Green Left Radio. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers from their slumbers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions, serve all masses, arise! We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize, that's right.